Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, a podcast dedicated to helping you live a less cynical, more curious life. It's Macy, one of the co-hosts, and I'm normally joined with Scott, the other co-host, but he's away this weekend, so it's just me to give y'all an intro to our episode, which is episode 37, little tappity-tap on my notebook, Aaron Williams. If y'all don't know who Aaron Williams is, he's someone that both Scott and I know. Scott works directly with him. He is a reverend, a pastor, a priest. Uh, He grew up in Augusta, Georgia, moved to Texas to go to seminary, and then ended up in Seattle being the head pastor of the biggest and most historic black churches in Seattle. And now he's at the church that Scott works at, that I used to work at, which is a big large church that's a predominantly white congregation. So Aaron has a very interesting story in this conversation. It's pretty fascinating um, to see the story of a person who grew up always wanting to be a pastor and just the different cultures, experiences that he has in this. Um, At No Small Thing, we are pretty curious. That's kind of part of what we're all about. And we happen to have a lot of Christian episodes, which I'm just now making a, a small, fun disclaimer slash way to view this. So we have an audience, and I think some people are Christians, so they'll love the language that's used in this conversation. Um, but I think that there's a decent chunk of people out there who listen to No Small Thing who aren't Christian or maybe are of a different faith, have different spirituality. And so these kinds of episodes may be a little odd to listen to. Um, but I would invite everyone to be curious about this kind of conversation. It seems like this is such a slice of life. Like you really hear the heart behind Aaron and he has such a gentle spirit and tells um, stories so well. So we invite y'all to be curious about this uh, slice of life. That's what I keep calling it. Oh, and then the last thing I'll note before we head into the conversation is This episode seems to be really a nice pairing to our Christina Cleveland episode. We even at one point quote Scott brings a Christina Cleveland quote to the table that I think um, really challenges the conversation and kind of brings a different perspective. So this seems really fun in the way that it gives two different perspectives, but also similar perspectives from both Aaron and Christina. So I invite you to kind of, if you listen to that episode, Think of that episode and what was talked about there and vice versa, maybe. Um, So, okay, that's all. Uh, I hope that you really enjoy it. It was quite a blessing to have Aaron in our home and his wife was here with us and they just have a really warm, caring presence. Um, He plays the role of a pastor well and has the spirit of it. So it was fun to just be around him and be in his presence. So I hope that you guys enjoy that. Without further ado, welcome to the conversation. Oh, also, if you stick around to the very end, there's a tiny little, like, Easter egg story. Easter egg? There's a tiny little story that Aaron shares that's really interesting. It was very formative to his faith that he just kind of started sharing while on the mic. But it wasn't a part of our conversation, so we snuck it in there at the end. So if you stick around to the very end, you get that nice little bit. Okay. Catch you later. Yeah.
here we are, everybody, with Aaron in the house. Um, Aaron is a pastor at UPC. We've already said this. University Presbyterian Church. University Presbyterian Church. Somebody he, at our church is upset that I don't say the full name. So now oh, I'm yeah. working on saying Shout out to Justin. <laughs> He's getting uh, lots of acknowledgments now. <laughs> being a pastor, that is a big thing. So yes. we're inviting you to share a bit about your journey to being a pastor, how you first, how it first started. How did you initially feel called? Oh, wow. <laughs> or wow. inspired or... Well, you know, I remember um, I I grew up in church. Uh, my mother was a musician, uh, a pianist, and she played for for many choirs. And my grandmother was the uh, president of the choir. And so there was never a time that I didn't know about church, you know. Uh, and uh, I remember being in kindergarten, and the teacher asked everyone in class what they wanted to be when they grew up. And uh, I said, a pastor. And uh, she made a little folder for us, and she put Aaron, pastor. And uh, wow. then we had how, how we had to draw. We were in, in kindergarten. In kindergarten, wow. And we had to draw pictures of what, you know, what that looked like. And so we every week we put something in that folder mm-hmm. about, you know, about being a pastor. And so... And did um, everyone else have like a different thing on their? Yeah, folder? Every, yeah. Okay. Everyone else had a, had a different thing, and she, the teacher, who uh, I still remember to this day, uh, Miss Bickert. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was my kindergarten teacher, but she was also my third grade teacher. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, and I think okay. the reason I said that not because you know I was like this is something I want to be. And it just like God had given me some kind of vision at five, four or five years old. But it, it was because every Sunday I saw this man in the pulpit who everyone revered. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Reverend Brown was the pastor of Somerville Baptist Church, the church I grew up in. And, uh, Where was I, this? Uh, Somerville Baptist Church is in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Augusta, okay. Georgia. And, uh, and I said, well, this man has a lot of uh, influence. You know, as a kid, mm-hmm. I was like, wow. I want to be like him, you know. Hmm. And I think uh, I think that just uh, his presence and being in church every Sunday played a, a huge role in how God shaped me even in those year, early years. Um, and that's you know that's fast forward to um, <laughs> I guess when I was about seventeen years old. I um, I, I really began to take my Christian walk seriously. I was baptized when I was 10, mm-hmm. but I really began to take my Christian walk very seriously, started reading the Bible, uh, praying, and um, my just my whole outlook on life had changed. Uh, I grew up uh, fighting a lot. I was a, people knew me in elementary school and high school as a fighter. And Whoa. I didn't know that, that about you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just big Aaron information. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those guys who people, you know, someone I had a disagreement with someone. I said, "Meet me after school." Wow. And uh, we had a fighting ground, and uh, everybody would gather around. Oh my goodness! And uh, we we would fight. That's <laughs> already so funny because I don't know if even people at our church know that about you. About I think you're going to get some comments about that. <laughs> Aaron being a fighter. <laughs> Meet me after school. <laughs> Up until 17? Pretty, well, pretty much, I would say, because I, I had one situation in in high school 
in the eighth grade, I got it. I got upset with a with one of my homeroom uh, class friends who were, and he was yelling at me, and I picked up a desk and threw it at him. Ooh. And <laughs> and I I, did, I was taken to Mr. Utley's office, who was the assistant principal, and he was kind of a big, tough principal. And he said, uh, "Aaron, you, you're starting off wrong. Starting mm. off wrong. He said, if, what you, a if you're gonna make it, if you're gonna make it through high school, you you've got to control your temper." Mm. Oh. Uh, and what, 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 what was the types of things that would typically set you off? Do you think I just didn't like people uh, calling me out or mm. embarrassing me? Okay, you mm. know, uh, and really, I start channeling that to uh, if someone would make fun of me, I start jiving. You know, mm. we, you know, kind of like you make know, make fun of them back a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. And oh, so I became I really good at that, and that was my way of fighting. Yeah, you know, and so because um, I didn't have the best of clothes in high school, and so. I had to learn how to, you know, look at someone and say, "Hey, you know, you don't look that good. Your head, your head shaped, shaped like a a, a balloon <laughs> or something like that." So I just got, <laughs> and so I Getting learned really creative. I learned how to jive. Insults. Yeah, I learned how to jive. And so, uh, first but, of all, side note, I do want to say uh, one thing that we have the privilege of here in this room is that uh, Aaron's wife, Michelle, is in the room. Yes. And we get to see her facial expressions when he says these things. You, you all don't get to see that, but they're really great facial expressions. I can see, I can see her... <laughs> I can see her reflection in the mir- in the mirror. Yeah, no, she, she can see in the, the window. reflection back. That's so good. Wow. <laughs> I would have never once in my life guessed this in your past because Aaron is one of the most like chill, gentle, gentle, gentle souls yeah. to be around. I would say you've got a gentle spirit. Not very threatening. That's, this is an interesting. Uh, well, it shows how the teenage years are rough. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. I think Everyone part, part of it, years. part of it was you know anger. You know, my mother and father divorced when I was mm-hmm. like seven years old, mm-hmm. oh. and for many of those years, I felt like I was the cause of their divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, part of it was just I think acting out and taking that anger uh, out on on people who who got me upset. And yeah. so that was mm-hmm. that was part of it, you know. And then so seventeen came. Seventeen came and uh, I um, I really started something happened at seventeen. I can I can remember being in church and yeah, there were many years I, I didn't really hear what the pastor was saying. And then it was like one one Sunday it was like like the blinds were taken off my eyes and I could literally hear what the pastor was saying and mm-hmm. it just it. it it created a sense of conviction and humility in me, mm. uh, and I, I, I just, uh, I remember um, starting to read my Bible and, and praying. I was, <laughs> it's funny because I started listening at seventeen, listening to Charles Stanley on the radio, and it was Is that kinda, preacher. Yeah, okay, Charles Stanley, a very no, well-known preacher in uh, in, in the South, uh, and probably up here as well, yeah. but. Uh, he influenced me a lot. His preaching and teaching influenced me a lot. And so I started reading the Bible and started going to Sunday school and uh, going to Bible study. And I can remember being the only teenager, because this was a small church. Uh, we didn't have a lot of youth. And uh, I was the only teenager in Bible study. Wow. And the only one showing up at, at uh, Sunday school. And so one, you know, one day the the 
one of the, the deacons asked me to start teaching Sunday school because and I And you're was, like 17? I but that's yeah, 17, huh. 18, that transition wow. from 17 to 18. Huh. Uh I was just soaking up the word of God at that time and um um and I can remember uh I can remember a particular one day where it, it was like God was just saying, I'm I'm setting you apart hmm. to preach. And I and I start I had this this inner conversation with God and I said, "But Lord, I'm, I'm you know I'm too young. Uh, mm. I still I hadn't you know I just started dating girls and you know I was like, <laughs> Lord, can you just wait for a couple of years? Mm. <laughs> <You know>? mm. <laughs> Sounds very and, human uh, to me. Yes. And uh, it was one of those. And I you know I was you know loved rap music and I, at that time it was kind of like I mean it was. Rap music was a form of idolatry f- mm, for me. I, I would yeah. buy the latest, uh, and at that time it was cassette tapes, and yes. I'd buy the latest cassette tapes, and I'd go to a place called Pyramid Music yes. and buy all of these cassette tapes. <laughs> and and, uh, and um, Do you remember and, who you'd be listening to at that stage? Like, um, would you listen to Eric L- B. and Rakim L- or anything? LL L- Cool J, yeah. uh, Houdini, yep. um, uh, Fat Boys, Yes. Uh, those are the Run all, DM- all the OGs. Yeah. Do you still listen to rap music? Run DMC, huh? Do you still listen to rap music? I still listen to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I still listen to it. I, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those. I mean, you know, it was just it was a it was a form of idolatry for mm-hmm. me, and mm-hmm. I can I can remember when I finally accepted my calling, I I kind of uh, gave all of my ca- cassette tapes to my cousin Ronnie. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "You're giving all these to me," <laughs> and I began to focus on on my relationship with Jesus Christ. You just knew CDs were coming too, so you didn't. You knew yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I knew they were somewhere coming down. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it started with the idea, you know, with this this hunger for the Word of God, uh, this hunger for uh, for the gospel, and uh, and and then to share the word, you mm. know. And I can remember sharing with letting my grandmother know that I was called to preach. And she said to me, uh, she 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 kind of doubted it a little. Oh, she says, uh, "You boy, you sure you've been called to preach?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes, grandma. Yeah, I've been called to preach." She said, "Well, if you've really been called to preach, uh, just wait for a year, and and mm-hmm. before you let anybody else know, just wait for a little while." And if uh, finally I made a believer out of my grandmother, and she, wow. and uh, then I told my pastor, did you wait a year? You wait, yeah, I waited a year. Wow, yeah, grandma waited, advice. Actually, wise grandma really advice. Wise advice. Yeah, actually, wise well, Aaron taking yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> double wise. Yeah, well, my grandmother was a major influence in my life. Uh, she, uh, you know, I was pretty much raised by my grandparents, and uh, and they taught me the value of prayer and the importance of prayer and reading the word of God. And so um, it, it was It was a huge turning point for me. Hmm. You know, it was a huge turning point. And um, I waited, I told the pastor, and then he said, wait for another year. So oh, he wanted, so much waiting. He wanted to watch me. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, he wanted to watch so me. So 17, 18 at this well, point? Well, 18, and then I waited for a year to 19, and then another year I preached, started preaching at 20. Okay, but I was teaching. I was teaching Sunday school, teaching Bible study. Okay, for those for those uh, two years. You know, side note on this is that, like, again, we work at this church and uh, we talk about this concept, sticky faith, and it's it's a little interesting sometimes that 
with youth ministry, you're essentially grabbing the youth and ripping them out of the community of adults and mm. partitioning them off and saying, hmm. you go to a camp oh, by yourself, true. you meet in this room by yourself. And like statistics just show over and over again that, well, kids that are in smaller churches that don't have a youth program end up having a lifelong faith mm. because they were basically forced to be with the adults and that helped them yeah. sort of grow up to a certain extent, but also feel comfortable in a larger community and and be I don't know, known and seen as a kid that. by more yeah. adults. Yeah, exactly. And I think they offer something to adults, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, I know, you know, having been been raised by my grandparents, um, um, they modeled before me what it looks like to be a mature Christian. They weren't perfect, but at the same time, I, I saw um, struggles that they went through, mm-hmm. and I saw how they, how their spiritual maturity help them to make it through those struggles, mm. you know. Uh, I never Dang. heard my grandmother complain about we don't have enough food. Uh, I never heard her, com- you know, she's al- she always put it in the Lord's hand, always trusted God as well as my grandfather. But So I, I watched them, you know, and, and it, it made a huge... So I can see how, you know, intergenerational... They were discipling me, and they didn't even know it. Right, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of mm-hmm. came natural. Those terms, especially in in my grandparents, you know, I never heard the word discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. You saw it. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was just you know, it, my grandmother took it upon herself to to raise me in the fear and the admonition of knowing the Lord to come to come alongside my mother mm-hmm. and and raise me because my mother got pregnant at nineteen, and mm. and then in those days, you know, you. You know, they were told if you got pregnant, you you get married. You right. know, there's no, there's no, you know, okay, you got pregnant. The the, the, the thing for a, a mature man and woman to do is to get married. Mm. You know, and so that's that was, uh, you know, that was that's the kind of environment I grew up in. Yeah, you know. And then you preached your first sermon. I preached my first sermon on August twentieth, nineteen eighty eight, at Somerville oh. Baptist Church. I love that he wow. remembers. Yeah. <laughs> August 20, 1988, and my my sermon title was based on Colossians 1.19, that it it pleased uh, the Father that that, uh, the fullness of the Godhead would dwell in Jesus Christ. And I I preached a sermon called Jesus, the only answer for every problem. And uh, I still remember that. This is an incredible memory. My early sermons were really significant to me, but I have no idea what text they were on or... What the title was? What the date? No way. No way. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) It probably didn't make sense when I preached it, but it was, I I remember, I knew in my head what the, you know, I kind of, I looked at Jesus, I guess it was a conviction I had. I looked at Jesus as he was the, he was the answer to, to the problem of my mother and father divorcing. He was the answer to, to the anger that I had within me, Hmm. uh, uh, resolving that anger that I had within me. He was the answer to, I had a speech impediment growing up as a kid and couldn't read well. He was the answer to all of those things. And so uh, in a real sense, Jesus was the only answer to every problem that I was faced with. And I still look at look at that, hmm. look at him as that answer to every problem because yeah. the biggest problem with, with me is sin. Hmm. And so... Jesus came to deal with sin, so that's the root of every problem. Yeah, you know? wow. 
Yeah. Uh, do you feel like it was that message was received well? Like, did you I get think encouragement? It, I think it was. I think it was received well. I, you know, I don't know if anybody else remembers remembers that <laughs> message <laughs> or the date or the title. <laughs> it's true. Preaching is such an like an interesting uh, craft in a sense, or an interesting like thing to do. Mm-hmm. I've I've preached in terms of like in front of youth ministry kind of and given talks and it's always such like an interesting thing. You preach quite often. I, I, I yeah, I mean I give talks. It's hard. Like it's I mean I've preached say. at our church a few times, three times I think, but But I no, feel like I mean, you really preach. You're a real I mean, well he's a real preacher in terms of like <laughs> well, he he does it like well, for a season of his life, essentially weekly, you know, that's yeah. a yeah. real season of preaching. Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, those early years, you know, when I started preaching, uh, I, and I go back and listen to some of those messages. I was like, what was I thinking? You know, that <laughs> the, 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 the congregation was so patient with me, yeah. you know, <laughs> I think it takes a while to develop your voice. I mean, obviously still yeah. haven't arrived but I, I was always trying to be somebody else and act like someone else. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was my issue. I wanted uh, a major influence in my early years of preaching was Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I memorized I Have a Dream speech. And, wow. Uh, uh, and in a real sense, that was my first sermon. I, mm. I, I gave that speech when I was 19 and, mm. and before an audience. And... Uh, and I wanted to sound like King. I wanted to. I wanted to get a degree in sociology like King. I wanted to get a, a degree in systematic theology. So he was a major influence in my life. Uh, and I wanted to sound like him until my pastor told me one day. He said, "Son, uh, you can't be Dr. King." Yeah. You yeah. know. And uh, Warren Wiersbe said that God doesn't want uh, carbon copies. He wants an original. Uh, to be your original self, and so, but I, I have to say that his thinking, even to this day, has shaped the way yeah. I think about ministry and about justice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just you know, I I can't negate the fact that he Absolutely. he played a major role in my shaping uh, as a preacher and as a pastor. You had a lot of wise yeah. people speaking in your life because this is I, this idea of the carbon copy too is such good advice at a, at a young age. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I had to grapple with that uh, in, in many ways because uh, I just felt like <clears throat> that I wasn't good enough, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I said, well, maybe if I could impersonate Dr. King and people <laughs> maybe they'll and think I'm get him. my voice to sound like he <laughs> yeah. is, Maybe people will accept me. Yeah, mm. I think that was a major, a major turning point for me as well. When someone told me that, when my pastor told me that, yeah. And this is part of the conversation, but I do think that's also. I mean, so so many of the things you've mentioned tonight are also uniquely, I think, black, uniquely southern. You know, uh, like I've grown up only in Seattle, and I think just the 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 difference between this sort of Northwestern Christianity and then mm. Southern Christianity, which I hardly have any encounters with except a few trips to Mississippi. Mm. It's so different. Like church down there seems way more of like a true lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Up here, we're really detached from community <laughs> traditionally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting you mentioned that cause that there was a, it was a culture shock for me. Um, when I moved from Augusta to Dallas, uh, Augusta, Population 144,000, Dallas 2 million, um, and then moved from Dallas to Seattle. It was 
huge culture shocks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And Dal- <laughs> Dallas is, you know, the Bible Belt, there was a certain way of thinking. Mm. Uh, there was an evangelical, conservative uh, way of thinking. Um, uh, having attended Dallas Theological Seminary, there was a kind of a... Uh, uh, economic way, uh, mm-hmm. economic theological way of thinking, mm. yeah. and um, but that's where I, I I really began to cut my theological teeth as mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. as a as a theological thinker, mm-hmm. and had to grapple with with some issues whether I agreed with what the professor said or disagreed. But I had to I had to land somewhere, you know, as as a uh, as a theological thinker and as a mm-hmm. Christian. Um, and so, you know, there, there was, uh, the transition from Dallas to here, um, was, was, a, was a challenge as well. You know, um, like you said, there's, there's a, there's a sense in the South where, where Christian thinking or prim- primarily where I think pastors, especially in the small church pastors played a major role in shaping um, the mindset of the congregation, but mm-hmm. he, the pastor was more hands-on. He was all things to all people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's kind of what how it is in the black church. The pastor was a father figure. He was a pastor. He was a preacher. He was an uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a lot of things. He he was a he was a, a spokesperson. Mm-hmm. He he was civil rights leader. He did a lot of those things, and so that's the kind of context I grew up in where the pastor was kind of all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Then in Dallas, it was more specialized. You had pastor of uh, discipleship. Right. Mm-hmm. Pastor of uh, congregation That's of care. That's what it's like at our church, too. Yeah. yeah. You you had Youth all pastor. of these different... Yeah. 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 And so it was a it was a different, you know, it was a, uh, a kind of a professional, specialized way of thinking. Yeah. yeah. From my perspective, you know, it was it was a different, different way. Of yeah, I remember I told things. you I went to uh, took some kids down to a place. It was right after Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. So we went down to a little town called Tyler Town, Mississippi. It's very small. Hmm. And we got connected with the church there to just do some help cleaning up the church and stuff. Um and Glenn Allen was their pastor. He'll never listen to this podcast, but um, uh, he's a wonderful shout out guy. To Glenn. A shout out to Glenn. You call you Glenn. Yeah. Hey, I heard what you podcast. talking about me in my church? <laughs> um, but he was the full time senior pastor of this church, and then also the sheriff of the town. Oh <laughs> wow. my goodness! And he did both. I mean, full time essentially. I cannot yeah. imagine. Yeah. Wow. He's very revered he in that knew town. Everyone. Yeah, and he had a huge family. I was like, I, it looked exhausting. But <laughs> he was a really. We got to hear him preach. It was awesome. But wow. so 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 then how did, so how did you end up at Dallas Seminary? What was what was that decision like? Well, you know, I, when I was about nineteen, uh, I worked in the aviation industry. I started working. Uh, in the aviation industry, when I was 18, I used to wash airplanes and uh, detail. Wow. I was a detail airplane yeah. airplanes in the inside, and then wash them on you know wash them on the outside. And and uh, I used to listen to the r- Christian radio every day. Mm-hmm. And and I can remember Tony Evans used to come on, uh, Chuck Swindoll. Yeah, wow. Uh, David Jeremiah. Um, 
James Dobson. It was mm, you know, very the evangelical yeah. uh, radio station. And, uh, but the height of my day was listening to Tony Evans. Mm. You know, I literally every day when mm. it was legal, in in workplace, you could listen, listen to, to the radio, yeah. Christian radio. I don't know <laughs> who Tony Evans is. Oh, just a famous oh, oh, preacher. Yeah, yeah to- Tony Evans uh, was like the first African American to graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary with a PhD. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but he started a church in Dallas called Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Uh, his daughter, um, uh, Priscilla Sh- Shire. Uh, was just in a movie called um, I can't remember the name of it. it was the, just, is it the just, Love You Hate? That's what I one. War Room. War Room. Yes. That's it. She was just. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> she's a, a great, great speaker. Great. Uh, she was kind of mentored by her dad, but also by a guy named Zig Ziglar, who was mm. a hmm. public speaker. Um, but Tony Evans is kind of like he kind of influenced a lot of young. African American men to attend Dallas Seminary. His mm. his radio station is is worldwide. Um, uh, wrote a, he wrote a book called um, Kingdom Man. Uh, no more excuses. Uh, just very very great preacher. Very mm. great writer. Uh, and I you know and I at the age of nineteen I was like man I want to be able to preach like him. Mm. Great expositor of the Word of God. And so. He shaped my thinking, and, and Chuck Swindoll as well. And so I said, well, if all these guys went to Dallas Seminary, then maybe that's where I need to go. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but it took many years for yeah. me to actually, because I, first of all, I need, to, I, I need to go to college. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we skipped that part. <laughs> right. 19, <laughs> right to Dallas Seminary. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember my pastor telling me, he said, wait a minute, son, you, you got to go to college first before you go to seminary. You got to get a bachelor's yeah, degree. Yeah. You got four years yeah. first. <laughs> so much waiting. Yeah. Wait a year, wait another year. True, yeah. patience. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, you know, I went to a historically black college in Augusta called Payne College. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my wife went there as well. Uh, she was kind of a, you know, kind of upperclassman there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and that's one of the reasons I can say, truly say I married up. Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, you and I have that in common. My wife was two grades ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and Payne College was made, played a major role as well. That's, that's where I got my bachelor's degree in mm. sociology and uh, uh, a lot of, um, learned a lot about black history and, um, and, uh, just really, really sharpened my thinking and shaped my thinking yeah. there. And then, you know, four four years there, actually five years there, because I was working full time and going to school full time. The life. Wow. Working um, at the aviation? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. San Antonio. Also, like preaching at the church and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Preaching, <laughs> preaching, uh, uh, not, not, not every Sunday, but kind of like my pastor allowed me to preach once a month. Mm. But I was also well known in Augusta. And so, um, I would get invited to preach it on a youth day, mm-hmm. oh. uh, I, or I was invited to do a week long revival mm. uh, at a wow. church, and uh, so I, I, I had a lot of opportunities. That's a southern thing, a revival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That never, was a, I've never been part of a week long revival. It's <laughs> 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 not a Seattle thing. Because <laughs> uh, part of it was the reason you know I got those opportunities because my my family had a gospel choir called the J.W. Barnes, mm. and uh, I was a part, I was 
especially in my later years, I was one of the main singers in mm-hmm. that gospel choir. Mm-hmm. And so we would travel around to various churches uh, singing. Hmm. And then when they heard that I was preaching, that that's how I got a lot of the invitations because they said, did you hear the young man that sings with the J.W. Barnes is preaching now? And so I got a lot of preaching opportunities hmm. and uh, God opened a lot of doors uh, for me wow. through that process. That's yeah. pretty incredible at such a young age. It is. Yeah. Well, so what was, how, how did D- Dallas shape you? Like, did you, did you start thinking about Christianity differently in any way because of Dallas? Yeah, I, I started thinking that there were, I think I, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary wanting Dallas to affirm what I was already thinking. Mm-hmm. And then Dallas just kind of, exp- just kind of, just exploded, you know, <laughs> so just kind of like dropped a bomb on a lot of things I was thinking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then there were some things that they were saying, some, and professors would say, I can't agree with that. That doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, many, I, I remember uh, a young man who was in his fourth year at Dallas Seminary getting his THM. His name was uh, Keith Barksdale. And Keith, uh, I was in my first year, and I, I asked Keith, "What what can you tell me about making it successfully through seminary?" And he said, "He said teach. He said take professors who teach you how to think, mm-hmm. rather than professors oh. who teach you what to think." Oh, that's good advice. Yeah, very yeah. Nice. the advice. Very <laughs> nice. A lot of wise people, and he obviously really soaked it in too. You know, he I took did. It to heart. I, I did, you know, because there, there were some professors, you know, they had a fixed way, mm-hmm. you know, this is dispensationalism, this is the yeah, way we think, and uh, which, you know, it's it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a man-made system at its mm-hmm. best, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but, you know, God didn't write his Bible, didn't write the Bible uh, from a systematic theological right. premise. Right, 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 right. You know? That's important. That's important yeah. to acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, so I started, you know, I started studying professors. And and one of the things that was kind of a red flag for me, and it just, you know, from a, from a, that if a professor got all of his degrees from Dallas Seminary, mm. oh, yeah, I totally. struggle with that. That's a legitimate yeah. red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Like you got you to gotta hear from some other voices. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I started, I said, oh, this professor got his PhD from Oxford. Oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. different. Yeah. That's Let's different. Check that yeah, guy he's out. got yeah. his PhD from uh, you know, Durham. Uh, you yeah. know, so I, I wanted to get some of that yeah. flavor. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Uh, and they stretched me, they, and then I took a lot of philosophy courses, mm-hmm. and really was wanted to to really learn how to think logically as well as theologically. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so Dallas, you know, I I I left there, left Dallas Seminary, and one of the things I used to do at Dallas as well, like if I took a class, and this was in my later years in seminary, I I would take a class, and I would ask a professor if if all of the books that he was recommending were by Europeans, by Caucasians, it troubled me. It, it was yes. as if uh, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanics had not, nothing to offer to mm. uh, New Testament, uh, Old Testament theology, systematic theology. And I said, well, what, what, what role did people of color mm. play in uh, in the formation of Christian theology, 
And so, uh, so I would ask these professors. I, I would say, you know, you know, I notice you don't have any books by so and so. Can I, can I come up with my own bibliography of some black theologians or New Testament black New Testament scholars and say, and can I write papers based on that perspective of how they end? Interact with these uh, European thinkers. Yes. Yes. And if a professor said no, I would sometimes I would kind of drop their class I, and I go to. I <laughs> good go for to you. Another, Rightfully so. I, I feel go like to another class. You've you gone know? out of your way, done more work. Yeah. To yeah. offer diversity to the class. Gosh. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I knew, I knew European theology. I knew, yeah. you know, I, I knew evangelical theology. I wanted to know something other than that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know. Gosh, it's the professor's job to cultivate that. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that seems to be one of the things that keeps coming up somehow. Is this thing in in higher education? uh, It's almost like some sort of conspiracy of keeping people of color away from the table, so to speak. You know. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's it's disturbing. Okay, so here's what I think we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break. We do this. We don't. We're not literally taking a break. <laughs> <laughs> we say we're taking a break, and when we come back, I think we'll hear about Aaron's journey from essentially Dallas to Mount Seattle, Zion, Mount Seattle. Zion. Yeah. Okay. When we come back. with Aaron and we we've never done this before we often start a lot of our episodes by talking about a journey of sorts mm-hmm. and we're calling this opening the triple journey we've never done a triple journey before <laughs> we're talking about Aaron's early days one, then coming two, up to three. Seattle then coming to Archer GPC so we're starting to make the turn towards coming up to Seattle and pastoring Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Seattle so how did that happen well it was it, I I was I can remember I, I graduated from Dallas Seminary in 2006 and uh, and initially I, I I really was running from being a pastor I would like when I discovered that there were specialized fields you mm. could go into mm-hmm. so yeah. I said well maybe I can be a pastor of discipleship mm-hmm. and that was one of the first jobs wow. I applied for at a church in Dallas it was the pastor of discipleship. And the guy interviewed me, and uh, he offered me the job. But he said, "I'm going to offer. It's going to be full time, and it's apprentice, an apprentice hmm. type job." Hmm. Now, keep in mind, I had already been preaching for 15 years, and I'm not coming out of seminary to to be an apprentice. Apprentice, <laughs> you're, you're ready to go. You're, ready to go. you're like, "Come in, coach." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I tur- I turned him down, uh, and. And it was I was really kind of getting upset with God because uh, it was it took two years for a door to open. Mm-hmm. I kept I sent like sixty resumes out, hmm. uh, and I was really trying to get back to the East Coast. Hmm. So I started sending my resumes to churches in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and I kept getting these rejection letters back. I mean, I have a oh, folder wow. of rejection letters that. 
Although Saved. your resume is impressive, fortunately, we're going in another direction. Hmm. Hmm. And hmm. so I, I said, Lord, I've I been to seminary. I've done what you called me to do. Why is it taking me so long for hmm. you know for a door to open? And I can remember the Spirit of God saying to me, you're, you're trying to tell me where you want to go. Hmm. But... You know, if you really, if if you really uh, seeking my guidance, you got to go where I want you to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember my wife uh, taught at Mountain View College, and she used to, every year she would take students to a leadership conference. And uh, in two thousand five, she took uh, some students to Seattle. And I remember she said, you know, she said, you want to go? I said, sure. So, Wow, so we, interesting. Seattle. We, yeah. I, yeah. I'm always so curious about what people in the other parts of the country think of Seattle. Like what? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like there's so many other places of the country that aren't on my radar. Yeah. Like sometimes somebody will be like Vermont. And I'm like, there's a place I never think about. Yeah. I never <laughs> think about Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, is that how people think of Seattle? Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Not, not as much these days. It yeah, seems like Seattle's a little days. bit bigger, but like, Amazon. yeah, I, you know, past, the only thing you know. I knew about Seattle at that time was I was a big Supersonics fan. Oh, well, don't even something. say it. Yeah. Don't even say it. I'm from it. Sacramento, so <laughs> people don't like us because didn't we take take the Sonics in a sense? Oh, oh no. Well, oh. actually, uh, it was Oklahoma. Oklahoma oh. took. Yeah, they, they took, took our team. Yeah, they took it. They literally took our team. Yeah, and they took KD. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, and actually it was 2006, I believe, it was 2006 okay. we came up here. And I remember coming to Seattle and we stayed at the Western downtown and mm-hmm. uh, kind of walked around the city. And first thing I noticed, I said, where are the black people? I didn't see any black people here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where, where are they? At least downtown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like yeah. at least I north just, of yeah. Like, yeah. downtown <laughs> north. <laughs> Yeah. And then finally, when I saw one, I saw a brother, and I kind of, you know, I kind of did like this here, and he kind of looked like <laughs> it's like, well, this must be a different kind of brother up here. They, they, they from just, from know, the south, kinda, yeah. I'm like, what's oh, up, man? You know, kinda. you can't see, but Aaron is gesturing a head nod, <laughs> a head, just a nice head nod, <laughs> yeah, a, a pretty standard head nod, yeah. And so, uh, but but first of all, Seattleites don't acknowledge each other, so we don't do head nods or waves or Seattle people uh-huh. don't smile typically. <laughs> I I remember so I, being down in Mississippi, I'm just more used to this. But the first time I went, I was yeah. probably like 26, and I was staying in a hotel, and I got in the elevator. The first thing, in a group of people, how are you? Where are you from? What are you doing here? And I was like. Why are we talking to each other in the elevator? <laughs> we don't talk to each other. <laughs> but southern people are more friendly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So I was like, you know, and the weather was beautiful. I mean, it was, mm. I mean, the, the air smelled clean. Mm. Mm-hmm. I said, man, no wonder people from Seattle don't, really don't want to tell anybody else right. about it's Seattle. It was, just, it was just gorgeous that mm. whole week. Mm. And, Do you remember uh, what month it is? It was in May. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good month. It's a nice choice. It was in May. And I remember um, we were, it was uh, Sunday morning, well, Saturday night. I said, my custom, whenever we went to another city, I said, I got to find a church to go to. Ah, yeah. And so Saturday night, I went on the internet, typed in African-American churches, and and, see, and uh, Mount Zion was the first church wow. to come up. Wow. Yeah. And so I said, oh, wait, they have a 730 service and a 1045 service. And I said, 
Well, our flight leaves at 1, so I need to go to the 736. Ooh, that is early. So no, I get up early Sunday morning and uh, drive straight up Madison yep. and park in, to the parking lot at Mount Zion. And uh, I go into the church and sit in the back. And, That's so uh, epic. You had no idea. Yeah. You had no idea what was... No idea. Um, and I was sitting there, and um, they had a guest preacher that morning. So uh, I was, like, sitting there, enjoyed his sermon... Uh, he was from San Francisco, and um, and the spirit, the spirit of God, said to me, "You're coming back here again." Wow, you're, gonna, you're coming back cool. here again. And at that time, I didn't know anything about the church, didn't know anything about the history, mm-hmm. or anything about the church in the, in that respect. And um, worship was great. Um, I met a few people. It was. It started raining that morning. Were you, were you there by yourself? Did Michelle go? Michelle didn't go. Okay, she, she was a committed the, person, folks. Woke hotel. up when yeah, he didn't have to. Got himself to church before his flight left. I've, I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> got to get to church. Uh, <laughs> no, if it's at one or twelve or yeah. if it's later in the day, I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> Seven. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I yeah. you know, I got back in the car and headed headed back to the hotel, and uh, we. We flew back to uh, Dallas. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, you know, I was still looking, you know, looking for um, church, uh, yeah. a pastor, a place to 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 use my gifts. And um, I, I went on this website, where uh, National Baptist website, and it showed churches uh, that were looking for pastors. And hmm. and this was in uh, October. And I looked at the website, and Mount Zion was on that mm. website. Mm. And so I clicked on Mount Zion and showed the job description. And so our next pastor would have a doctorate degree. He would, he, he had the age limit from thirty five to fifty five, and mm. uh, had all the you know details. And I, and and then I started doing some research, and I, I said, "But Lord, I never passed this church. Is this is a." This is a great church. I said, Lord, I, I'm looking for a small church to yeah. pass. I don't, yeah, on the East Coast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> on the East Coast. <laughs> and I, I specifically remember the Lord said, send your resume anyway. Okay. So do you have your PhD or you just have your master's at this I point? I just have a master, okay. a THM, theology, okay, systematic THM. theology. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I waited to the deadline, the deadline to send the resume to to the church was November twenty third, two thousand six, hmm. and I waited till four thirty. I took it to the post office. Wow! Post it, post office closed at five, and I took my application packet and put it in the box. And I did it reluctantly because yeah. I was like, I don't want to go to you know I don't want to go to the west. west. Yeah, you know I don't want to go to Pacific Northwest. And I and I knew then. Uh, where I was going, I knew God was sending sending me to Seattle. So, do you want to say a little bit, a bit about Mount Zion? Like Mount Zion, you this? know, Mount Zion is is you know one of you know one of the premier churches, the oldest uh, African American church in state of Washington, uh, pastored by you know Reverend Doctor Sam Barry McKinney for forty three years. Yeah. Um, uh, Doctor McKinney was a great civil rights leader in this area. Um, and uh, was a classmate of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a great, um, just a great leader, great leader. And um, 
Um, uh, Mount Zion uh, and Pas- uh, Pastor McKinney paved the way for a lot of uh, African Americans, and uh, really, he was a, a very strong voice for mm-hmm. social justice mm-hmm. in this area of C- Seattle, and uh, we're in the state of Washington for that matter. And um, um, it, you know, just it was it's, it, it has that great history. Yeah. I think Martin yeah. Luther King visited or or yeah he they did he, something together. he was invited uh to come to seattle um invited by reverend mckinney to come to seattle and um uh, because of mount zion was not big enough to hold oh i think they met at first press the seattle, space. Right? yeah yeah and so first presbyterian church met? yeah that's the one i took you to yeah, yeah first presbyterian church uh agreed to have the event there and then they turned around and said that we they couldn't do it there. Oh, oh yeah, because no. there's some history there of like yeah. years later, somebody from that session wrote an apology letter yeah. to somebody. But so did he come at all? He came. Okay. And it was it was held at another another site. I can't remember like the a community the, center. Or something yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it, it was it was the first and the only time he came to Seattle. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Isn't but yeah, nice? it was. Uh, you know, uh, I sent my resume and and. November twenty third, two thousand six, and I was in April of two thousand seven. They called me, interviewed me, then they flew me out in August of two thousand seven, and then uh, they invited me to come back in January, interviewed me, and voted me in as the pastor. Wow! In uh, January of two thousand eight, and how'd that feel? Uh, it was it was a humbling experience yeah. in, in the sense that, you know, I had never pastored before, but yet God was, I knew God was in it. I knew yeah. that God, that just because I didn't know anybody in Seattle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the way things unfolded yeah. was, it was a God thing. Yeah. It was totally a God thing. And and so my, my tenure at Mount Zion, I, you know, there's a sense in which, when a pastor becomes a, becomes a pastor of a church, there's a sense in which the church raises the pastor, and there's a sense in which mm. the pastor raises the church. There's yeah. a there's a, a, mutual. a mutual submission mm. that takes mm. place, and so uh, I I credit my time at Mount Zion where God really shaped me as a mm. pastor, and I, you know, the things that I knew in theory in seminary became practical and realistic mm. and I knew what didn't work and what worked and I really learned how important relationships are mm. and uh, in in moving a vision forward in pastoring a church you know so I, I'm I'm really thankful for my years there mm. what what was it like to be able to have a platform so to speak to to preach on a more consistent basis did you enjoy that I really enjoyed it I love the you know, because there, there were times where, you know, um, especially when social, when issues came up in the community or nationwide, that the community, uh, Seattle, the news station, uh, wanted to hear what Mount Zion had to say. Right. Mm. And so a news station would come Sunday morning, you know. Wow. And That's wild. Yeah. Big, about. historic Seattle church. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, and they would want to interview me hmm. and want to know what my thoughts were on uh, police reform, police brutality. Oh, uh, that's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, uh, 
uh, you know, and I had to approach that prayerfully because here I was, had to speak on the behalf of the people of Mount Zion and, and for the for the most part, people in the community. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mount Zion was on the radio every Sunday huh. for many years, and so huh. we, you know, people, and I'm still hearing from people that you know I used to listen to you on the radio every Sunday. It's wow. like you was, were on the radio. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, every Sunday at eleven o'clock. Um, so it was, it was, you know, it was a humbling experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 really, it, God kind of put me on a fast track at Mount Zion. I mean, it was yeah. like so many things were happening, and uh, I was being pulled in a lot of directions, and and uh, uh, so it was, it was kind of like God was. God kind of moved me forward really fast because mm-hmm. my ideally I wanted to pastor a small church, you know, and just kind of you know never really wanted to go to a big city. Yeah, yeah. well, period. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you sent the application, you really knew. I feel like I did. I, That's I, so I, interesting. I felt it, and because I was, I was, I mean, I, I was, I was doing a lot of praying at that time. It was like you know. And it was it was almost as if the spirit God God was speaking directly to me. He never gave me too much ahead. Yeah. It would always like, okay, I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna say this to you. Mm. You got to trust me in the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, if I had seen everything, I probably <laughs> would have backed run. up. Say, wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> well, you came in May. You you didn't see Seattle in February. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see some February weather. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what yeah. What do you think some of your favorite things about being at Mount Zion were? Um, the, preaching every Sunday, mm-hmm. the worship experience mm-hmm. was was just um, the 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 choir, the gospel choir uh, was just uh, there was there was a uh, there was an aura about Mount Zion in terms of the worship experience. People mm-hmm. wanted to hear. Uh, the preach word, but they also wanted to hear that uh, the, the gospel music, the worship, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and those two things going in tandem yeah. together. You know, it was just it was it was it was a, a wonderful experience. Mm. You know, to to stand in that pulpit every Sunday and to look over the audience and uh, and uh, to, to hear the choir and to to be. Uh, overwhelmed by the worship experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. There's something about your journey that to me just sounds inspiring for anybody that has a dream to do anything. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember reading um, Stephen King's book on writing years ago, and he just talked about how he was teaching English in a high school and, and writing a book and trying mm-hmm. to get it published. And he said he had a nail in his wall where he had over... I, I forget the exact number, but something crazy, like over 300 rejection letters. Wow. wow. And he just used that to keep himself motivated. But, I mean, he's obviously telling his audience in this book, like, look, I got rejected 300 times. If you want to do this, you got to keep keep trying. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you had 60 or so no thank yous. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you kept trying. That's why I, I just do meet so many people that would probably give up after two or three rejections. I mean, my, my yeah. brother just became a philosophy professor at Gonzaga, and he'll say, again, something outlandish. I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. He said he would have applied to like 500 different schools or wow. something, like yeah. just so many different schools. And then finally, you know, eventually, if you keep trying, it sounds like. 
Wow. Wow. Well, it's interesting, too, that it was a small church you were attending, and then it became, I mean, Mount Zion, which is, how many people go to Mount Zion? Uh, at the time, it was 1,200. 1,200. 1,200 membership. Yeah, membership was 1,200. Yeah, that's big, and then also just big in its influence. Yeah, that in itself, yeah huge like, influence, huge, yeah. You know? Yeah, huge well. influence. Yeah, and it's one of the things, that w- w- Macy and I share a similar temperament with Aaron. I think we all kind of skew introvert. <laughs> and uh, I always said, like, I mean, I had a similar experience coming from the church I worked at, which was a smaller youth group, and then being at this bigger church. Like, I wasn't even used to talking with a microphone. Even mm-hmm. that's a little nerve-wracking to me. And uh, talking to this many kids is still a little challenging. But I can't imagine a news crew coming up and talking oh, to me about no. my opinions. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's a side note story, and we can see if we keep <laughs> these types of things in. One time, one time... I was taking a group of kids on a mission trip, and the uh, airline um, guy. Uh, so I was I was using a travel agent, and the airline messed up our tickets. Mm-hmm. So the travel agent calls me, and he's been doing this for years in the city, and says, "Hey, they messed up our tickets. This is really bad. They're they gave us a terrible deal. I've got Como News, and you should tell them the bad deal that they gave us, and we're gonna highlight." What, what this airline is doing. Hmm. I was like, it all happened so fast. <laughs> so then the, then the news calls me and they're like, hey, this guy gave you our, your number. Yeah. Tell us what happened. And I was like, ah, I, I don't really no. understand what happened. And they're like, oh, but he, he said, there's a story here. Do you want to tell us? I'm like, I don't, I don't want to tell. I don't want to tell. <laughs> and they're so confused. They said, they said, you'd be on the news. And I'm like, I, I don't want to be on the news. <laughs> and the travel agent ended up calling me. He said, why didn't you give him the story? And I was like, I don't really understand the story. And I don't, I don't really want to be in the news. <laughs> oh my goodness! But yeah, that would be nerve-wracking. Yeah, it, it was. You know, it, it was. You know, you you had to have something to say. Something. Yeah. You know, every you, week. Yeah, every week. Yeah. How did it feel speaking to Seattle's community when you were mm. coming from mm. a different community? Like you grew up so differently. Yeah, it was. You know, it was. Uh, you know the Seattle community, especially the African American community, is um, there's still a, you know a lot of respect for pastors and, and pretty much for you know the Mount Zion is kind of like the mother church mm-hmm. of, of the churches here in Seattle, and so um, it was an expectation that you that you spoke to the issues of the day that you. Uh, that you uh, were articulate, that you had something to say, and that you were kind of a, a voice for the African-American community for the mm. most part, mm. you know. So, um, you know, and, you know, uh, so, I, you know, I, I approached that very prayerfully, you know, and, and through counsel. Uh, sometimes I would talk to Reverend McKinney, and, and we had some, we had some, People who were movers and shakers, who in their own respect, who were uh, members of Mount Zion, and uh, so I, you know, I, I would I would uh, ask them for advice as mm-hmm. well. And so it it was uh, the the beauty of of Mount Zion was the, the people. The people are the greatest asset, you know, yeah. in any church. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the people. Uh, that make the pastor and the pastor makes the people is mm. that's the, that's the way the relationship goes, you know? Yeah. So yeah we yeah. were talking off mic during the break about just this, the idea of the difference between traditionally like a pro- prophetic or prophet role who speaks sort of harsh words to the church from yeah. the outside, which is harder 
that a pastor is meant to be a shepherd, and that takes a lot more patience and more of a gentle touch, it seems. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. And and I think you know, for, for most for the most part in in, in the African American church, pastors expected to be priestly and prophetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, true, but true. some some pastors lean more toward the prophetic, and some lean more toward the priestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and prophetic means speaking truth to power, and priestly means speaking truth to the powerless. You know, yes. where mm. you you wow. you empower That's people good. who are who who feel like they don't have a voice, mm. and you you clean them up, and mm. you you mm. speak in mm. such a way that is cleansing and empowering, where uh, they they feel like uh, they are somebody. Mm. You know. Yeah, it sounds like he's done this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a I have a transitional story. Oh, okay. And then we're gonna take a break. Uh, this is about Aaron. This is like gonna this is gonna bridge the gap a little bit. So Aaron, as we said, works at our church now, University Presbyterian Church, and um, we had this hope idea that we we're gonna do this project called Kindred, which I'd love Aaron to talk a little bit more about, but. Um, it was essentially a hope to partner with churches. We're primarily, primarily, we have a lot of diversity in our church, but I would say mostly white church. And we had a desire to connect with churches in the community that were different than ours. So we had the hope to connect with Mount Zion Baptist Church and Evangelical Chinese Church. And so the first time I met Aaron was when he was still the pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church. And we went there and had a filmed a discussion between you, our senior pastor, George Hinman, and Alex, right? Mm-hmm. Alex from uh, uh, Evangelical Chinese Church. So it was a really cool experience to see these three pastors talking about their communities. And um, I think specifically you guys were kind of de- delving into Jonah a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it was really cool to even experience Aaron at that time. It's same sort of disposition we're experiencing here in the podcast, which is very relaxed, um, very, um, I don't want to say the word poetic, but very, uh, I don't know, good with imagery, you know? Yeah. So that's how I met Aaron initially. Now we work at the same church, but um, when we come back, this will be the second break, we're going to hear about the the third journey. <laughs> the triple journey is almost to a close, folks. <laughs> Talk about how he came to our uh, University Presbyterian Church when we come back. into the final leg of the triple journey, uh, just wanted to take a quick pit stop to remind y'all, if you haven't, to give us a rating and a review. Let us know your thoughts about No Small Things. Do you like us? Do you hate us? Why? Why not? It helps people to find the podcast, and it also helps them to know kind of what to expect when they start listening to No Small Things. So if you enjoy things like our Enneagram episodes or you enjoy our interviews, a rating and review would be sweet. Uh, yeah, so that's all I got. Hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Okay, so we are back. And 
now it's the triple journey finale, and we're going to talk about Aaron coming to UPC. So, interesting, earlier you said you initially wanted to be a pastor of discipleship. Yeah. You know, and here you are. Here you are. Yeah. (laughs) Here I am. And it's kind of come full circle almost. Yeah. You know, Uh, I think that's what I'm most passionate about because, you know, that's the mandate. Jesus said, make disciples. Uh, when I was a pastor at Mount Zion, that was the goal, is how many people can I disciple mm. and and get them to a level of maturity where they're uh, authentically reflecting the character of Christ. Yeah. You know, mm. uh, rather than the character of the pastor, the character of, you know, or, of a, a celebrity, but mm. really reflecting the character of Christ. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm full circle now. And um, uh, that's, you know, one of the things when I was in seminary, Dr. Howard Hendricks used to always say every Timothy needs a, a Paul mm-hmm. and every Ruth needs a Naomi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then he would go on and say that, you know, this is, you know, you cannot grow as a disciple in isolation. You need the community of faith. You need uh, people who are who who are going to mentor you and and show you the spiritual ropes. And so that was that was that became a major conviction a mantra of mine. Is what Dr. Hendricks used to often say. Mm-hmm. And because I saw that in my own life with my grandparents, and I said, well. Ministry at its best should be intergenerational. You know, mm. it should be intergenerational. Snaps. Snaps. <laughs> we believe. It. We believe. It. We agree. <laughs> and so, you know, my transition from Mount Zion to University Presbyterian Church. I remember uh, one Sunday uh, it was right after the Michael Brown incident in, in Ferguson, um, and I, I I said, Lord, give me something to say this Sunday because. Mm. Uh, there are going to be some people here who are hurting. Uh, they need to hear a word from you, Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, unbeknownst to me, um, you know, at 730 service, I was getting ready to preach, and I see uh, this Caucasian man and his wife sitting in the audience. And, uh, and after service, discovered that it was Pastor George Hinman mm-hmm. and his wife, Ann. And they were on sabbatical. They were in Vancouver, and uh, uh, Pastor George shared the story with me that he, you know, based on what was going on in the nation and what was going on in the African-American community, he felt a need to worship with an African-American church. Mm. And he said, God put Mount Zion on his heart. And Mm. so they... Drove. I don't know if they left Friday or Saturday, but they drove down to Mount Zion, and they were at seven thirty service that morning. Seven thirty. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Why do we got to do this, everybody? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I uh, I preached a sermon that that Sunday um, about finding God in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. where is God in Ferguson? You know, and and talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. Are those uh, sermons available anywhere? Uh, I I preached that other I preached that same sermon at uh, UPC. It's on okay. UPC oh, okay. website, yeah. but I didn't call huh. it "Finding God in Ferguson." Okay. I changed the title. Yeah, because a couple of years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, but he was so um, 
the sermon resonated with him. He said it created a, a burden mm. and a sense of, of, of compassion mm. and calling in him to want to do something about it. Yeah. And I remember him say, coming through the greeting line after service and say, hey, you know, I'm on sabbatical. I'll be off a of sabbatical in, in a couple of months, and I would love to sit down and have lunch with you. Hmm. And uh, we we met for lunch at uh, Skillet Diner. Skillet. Where's and, that? Uh, I don't know. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> it's on uh, 14th okay. and uh, 14th and Union. On yeah, the corner of okay, 14th okay. Union. But uh, we sat there, we talked, and uh, and we started thinking about what 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 are some things that we can do. We, and we had multiple meetings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we invited a- Pastor Alex, and yeah. we started mm-hmm. e- having lunch together. Pastor Alex from Evangelical oh, Chinese Skillet Church. Diner? Uh-huh. Skillet. Mm-hmm. We got yeah, to go. Second Skillet. time, <laughs> second time we, we met it uh, with Pastor. First time was just me and George, and then the okay. second time, me, George, and Pastor Alex. And uh, we started talking about uh, the idea of these, uh, you know, three churches coming. He said, George said, I don't know what God is doing, but this is, uh, you know, you know, Pastor Williams, your, your sermon uh, ignited something in me. And, I, I, and this, is, this is something that, um, that uh, I think we can do together. I think mm-hmm. we need to show unity in a time where the nation is divided along racial lines uh, the church has the answer, and uh, he said, "You know, that's that's let's come up with a plan. Let's do something together." And so we started talking. And uh, I remember George said, "What about uh, this term? Kindred keeps coming to my mm-hmm. mind." And uh, and he said, "You know, he basically said because I I remember him quoting me, and I said, you know, you know, in heaven there's no black church or white church. There's no Asian church. There's just church.'" You know, and there's no black part of heaven, no white part of heaven. And John said, I saw a number that no man can number from every tribe, every nation. And that became kind of a central theme Hmm. of the kindred movement. And so uh, then we invited other leaders from our churches Hmm. and we start eating together, just praying Hmm. and eating, praying and eating. We, we, We had multiple lunches Mm. At different places, and we start praying. So let's start. Let's start first of all, having some prayer gatherings. And I said, if it's working for us as we eat lunch together and we pray, uh, we don't know what God is doing, but let's just start praying together. Mm. And so we had our first prayer gathering at Mount Zion, and um, uh, people from UPC University Presbyterian Church Evangelical Chinese Church came to Mount Zion, and we had this prayer gathering. We mm. prayed in circles, and we just kept that rhythm going. Mm. Yeah. And uh, and we started, the relationship started to deepen. Mm. And uh, and and it just really started with these, me, Alex, and, and uh, Pastor George. And now we're at a point now where uh, relationships have deepened. Mm. Uh, we have had forums together we've mm-hmm. we've done uh we've worshiped together we've we've had a taste of kindred together for a pre-thanksgiving uh feast that we yeah. had together yeah. pastor <laughs> swaps yeah. pastor, pastor swaps, swaps yeah. and swap pulpits yeah and uh and god continues to amaze me 
uh, in us uh, as to what he's what he's doing with this this kindred movement. Yeah, you know, we dropped the word project because we want to we want to highlight yes. that it's ongoing. It's not this one off thing that we're doing. Yes. But just yes. for me personally, this most recent thing, and and so it's so I guess we've established Aaron. Aaron made the journey and the leap to UPC. He works at our church now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so, so, so essentially we did one round of Kindred, and a year later when Aaron was now working at our church, uh, we did another round of Kindred. Yes. And Kindred is ongoing. But um, the culmination, well, first of all, I went to one of the prayer meetings, and at that time it, it was like a year after all this groundwork that you guys had done. So everybody had sort of been trained. So it's at our church... We had this big giant room, and there's all these people from Evangelical Chinese Church. All these people from um, oh, we started with a new church. Um, yes, Damascus, Damascus International, International Fellowship. Fellowship. Yeah. Yes. Um, so black. Uh, I mean, all different types of folks in this room, and um, it was it was really profound. Uh, by the end, we're all holding hands and singing hymns together. Yes. And then this. Thanksgiving feast too. It was just like uh, I don't know how many. Was it eight hundred people? Nine hundred. Nine hundred people, yeah, and we had this giant yeah. feast. It was it was a really beautiful image. Yes, I, I love that it like really started small and was just like let's just invite more people into this. Yes, yeah. and more people into this. You know, yes. this like real grassroots movement in a sense. Yes, uh, you know, I, you know, my philosophy is as the leadership goes, so goes the followers. So we as leaders had to be authentic in our relationships together. Mm-hmm. And there, there were things that we grappled with and we still grapple with and we're trying to learn how the cultural nuances between Asian Americans, African Americans, and, and Caucasian Americans, and, and we're, 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 we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we, you know, how does the spirit enable us to, to relate Hmm. authentically mm-hmm. and uh, with one another and really uh, look at it from the other pr- other group's ex- perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. that is a big yeah. skill. Yeah. yeah, so there's a cultural, spiritual sensitivity that is deeply ingrained in how we relate to one another when, mm-hmm. we, when we come together. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing because it's almost like it's a living out of what Paul says in Philippians, let... Let each person be concerned about the interest of the other person more so than he is of himself. And so we 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 we're always cognizant of the fact that we don't want to offend one another when we have conversation. Yeah, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing. You know, we don't. Yeah, it's. A, I guess now we'll just have a a theological discussion or, so, or just <laughs> a right. discussion. All right. Because <laughs> one thing that comes up for me that I'm curious about. Because I know this is a, there's it's it's nuanced and it's a fine line, but like for example, Howard Schultz in the media was just kind of slammed for saying this, this phrase that is sort of outdated now. I remember probably 20 years ago it sounded profound, but now we've realized it's not helpful. Which is he says, I don't see color, <laughs> and now people don't like that anymore. Um, yeah, and 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 essentially what it's saying is. It, well, they're, it's saying a lot of bad things, but one of the things it's saying is, I don't see your culture. I don't see, you yeah. know, who you are necessarily. Um, so I wonder if this, that's that seems to be the the balance or the art is saying this idea of like in 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 heaven there'll be no black church, Chinese church, white church, 
um, and, and a group of us could get together and I guess maybe even from a dominant culture. So like a white culture could say something along the lines of like, well, we yeah. don't see a black church. We, you know, in God's kingdom, there is no, mm. we're all mm. the same. And you're like, yeah. wait, wait, but, but I am black and I do have a culture and a background that I want you to understand and see. Yeah. Mm. Uh, how, what are your thoughts on that? How do you navigate? <laughs> I know you don't I, have all the answers. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's still a need for, um, the African American church that for the black church, I think that for, for the most part, the black church emerged out of um, out of rejection, out of uh, pain, uh, and out of uh, out of a need for uh, African Americans to come together and express their their faith mm-hmm. um, and their love for God and their style of worship. Um, uh, the church that I came out of in Augusta, um, another church called Old Storm Branch Baptist Church, and the history of that church is the first 20 years of that church's existence, they had white pastors because the the plantation didn't trust uh, the black pastors uh, to lead that church by themselves. Interesting. And so uh, for the first two, first 20 years, they had, they had white pastors. Mm -hmm. And then, but the plantation that they were on, they said that the worship experience was so loud that the man that owned the plantation said, we need to move that church further down the road. My goodness. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they ended up moving Old Storm Branch to another location where it wasn't close to, to the house, the plantation house. Um, but you know, then, you know, it, so it, it's, I think, uh, there, there's still a need for the black church in the sense that, um, there's, a, there's a, a way of worship and, you know, and I think there's a tendency when black people join white churches is that we, we, we assimilate into mm-hmm. the culture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and it can it can happen very subtly, you know, yeah. and so um, you know. I, so I think it's still still necessary. What we've tried to do with Kindred is to respect that uh, that that need to still have a black church, mm-hmm. need to have a, uh, a Chinese church, because yeah. you the church became that place. You know, when when blacks migrated to Seattle, they came from black churches in the South. And the church became that place where people, where needs were met, mm-hmm. and cousins and brothers and uncles and sisters who came up to Seattle and to to get away from Jim Crow, the Jim Crow South. Uh, many times they would stay with their family mm-hmm. until they could get on their own feet and buy their own mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the church became that place uh, where that's you know that's they could worship in their own way. And it's a centralizing like community yes. area. Yeah. yeah, it was it was the hub of the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was the hub of the community. So how has it been for you now that you're a pastor of a, a predominantly white church? It has squeezed me out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. There there are times where I feel uncomfortable, but there are times where I feel in, uh, greatly comfortable. I feel a sense of comfort and love mm-hmm. at University Presbyterian Church, and and I, and I feel an, an openness there to uh, change and to embrace 
who I am as an African American man, but also as a as a as a black preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. they, they're they're wanting to hear uh, a black preacher from the pulpit. Yeah. They want they wanting to, they're wanting to say Amen. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, we want to. Yeah. These, <laughs> these give us permission white to say Presbyterians who don't know what <laughs> yeah. to do, yeah. and you encourage it. It's good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there, there's 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 a there's a spiritual sensitivity at UPC. And no, no churches are perfect. Uh, we, we're all yeah. a work in progress. We're being perfected, but uh, I think that there's 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 a, a spiritual sensitivity to that, and a cultural sensitivity, hmm. yeah, uh, to that at, at University Presbyterian Church. Hmm. We talk about this idea, and and we've had training on it at UPC uh, in terms of microaggressions, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder, as great as it is, because I do think UPC is doing some really good things with kindred and um, heading in a good direction, you know? mm-hmm. but nobody can control common everyday people in the hallways. And I just remember this, this one time I was with you mm-hmm. and just, a re- I don't even know who this person is. So it's like, I can't even say anybody's name. Uh, came up and, and you said something along the lines in casual conversation. Of course, this person is white and you and me and this person are standing there and you said, oh, yeah, I think I'm going up and hiking in the Cascades this weekend. Mm-hmm. And he instantly responds. He's like, oh, I'm so glad. You know, black people just don't get out in nature enough. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And you were like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. You know, you were really nice about it. And I was like, gosh, I, was, I wonder how many times Aaron hears stuff like this around just the halls of UPC. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, that, that to me would be a high example of a microaggression you know yeah it's like, yeah yeah not a subtle one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i th- i think you know I, th- I think um pastor george said it best one day when we were we had a kindred p- prayer gathering at at, U- at university presbyterian church and um one of the things he said when we looked over the audience we saw you know we saw uh asian americans we saw blacks mm-hmm. and we saw uh, Caucasians and and they were in groups and we were we me and George were just talking and George said hopefully there's there's enough grace in this room for um, for uh, things that may be missaid or mm. for the lack of uh, cultural understanding that, that hopefully there's enough grace in this room to mm. still love a, a brother or sister in Christ, even though they don't know the best words to use, yeah. Yeah. you know, but we're on this journey together, yeah. you know, and I think that's, that's the thing about the church is that we need to have enough in, in, in other settings in the world, there may not be enough grace in a room hmm. to have some conversations where people can be honest and say, you know what? Yeah. I, you know, I, I went to all white high school. I, I never saw a black person until I was in the military. I heard someone say that to me one day and uh but i'm ready to learn mm-hmm. i want to learn yeah and i think that's what it's all about you know that's what it's all about we're, we're all a work in progress we're moving toward uh maturity because this is an act of discipleship as well because when you read the book of acts the jewish christians had no idea what god was getting ready to do that that this gospel thing was embracing people from all all nations mm-hmm. and peter struggled with it and he said Peter, you can't be prejudiced. You can't be a racist. You know, you, essentially you, said, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think, we, likewise, uh, like we we see this transition in the Book of Acts, I think this transition is becoming more prevalent 
uh, in the 21st century than it ever has before. And a lot of it has to do with what, what is going on in society because we need to model this mm-hmm. for the world to see. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and there's certain there's certain dimensions to our society right now that has made the problem amplified and, and shown just how bad it's gotten that I think a lot of people are wanting to counter that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm certainly cognizant of that's what we're hoping to do yes, together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we, we want to counter the, the division. Um, uh, we want to recognize that, that yes, color matters. Black lives matter. We, we want to recognize the fact that you know this is not a colorless society that we mm-hmm. we live in. Uh, uh, United States a, is a is is a place where people came from other. Some came against their will. Some came by their will, and we need to be cognizant of that. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, it's it's an exciting time to be in ministry. An exciting time to model and to reflect the character of Christ and to lean into uh, what we see in society and say, hey, there's a better way. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, a, there's a more authentic way uh, that we, you know, it, like one of the things I like to say is that we, we were human first before, you know, before yeah. we were black. We were human before we were white. We were human first. You, when you read the, the book of Genesis, you, you, don't, you don't even see any concept of of blackness and whiteness, mm. you know that 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 thought uh, was was something to me. I think it was really man made, mm. you know, because you don't see that. It didn't originate with God. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, man, grace is so challenging. Grace is very challenging. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think. Do you think it's interesting, like thinking about the church as being almost like resisting in its grace, mm. like? Resisting the culture by being a place of grace that offers. I th- yeah, I I think you know. I, mm. I, you know, you know. It's that was interesting awesome. the way you said that because I I, I think uh, sometimes when I'm driving down the road and I I see people acting out in their driving ha- habits. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, you you yeah. you're trying to move over into the right lane, and they move up. And you try to you put your flash your your signal light on, trying to yeah. move over, and they just. And I said, you know, and so now I'm always cognizant of that, and so it's almost like people surprised when I let them over. They're yeah, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> A nice person. Me, yeah. He just let me over. You know? <laughs> like but to me, those are. Small moments of grace, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, small moments of grace. And you have to think that whenever whenever grace is extended, that uh, in some way it affects the person that it's being extended to. Hmm. You may not see it in the future. You may not. You may not ever see that the fact that you let this person over, maybe this person would think the next time uh, I need to return that favor. Yeah. Hmm. You know. I had a guy uh, just a while back. He, I was having lunch with a friend, and someone hit hit my car. And I come out, and the car has a dent on it. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh man, they hit my car!" But they left a note and said, uh, "Sorry, I hit Sweet. your car. Here's my number. I would love to get the car fixed for you." Mm. 
So I called the guy and I said, you know, that was so kind to you because many times people do things like this. And he says to me, well, you know, I, I believe that, I believe in karma, dude. <laughs> you know, he said. Gotta fix this. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he paid for it. And I was like, wow, this mm. is. This is amazing. This guy believes in karma and he's doing it. What, what do we as Christians believe? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. More uh, challenges. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe, I think we should be wrapping up here. I think we should we've be had wrapping some, up. Uh, someday I'm going to get on with Aaron and just talk about James Cohen. But <laughs> I, I, I think maybe just for fun, since we had Christina Cleveland on last week. last week, here's a quote from her book and it'd be interesting to get your take on this. And I think, I think it's appropriate. I think, I think uh, George, our senior pastor, and Alex and others would appreciate this voice and this perspective. I think it's appropriately challenging. Um, And I guess it's probably primarily written to white communities. That says, here's the thing. I rarely come across Christian organizations that truly want diversity. Everyone says they want diversity, and some organizations even go through all the pomp and circumstance of launching expensive diversity initiatives from time to time. (laughs) <laughs> but really, what many people want is a group of happy minorities who will happily pose for media publications and happily assimilate to the dominant culture without so much as a peep. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants diversity, but no one wants to actually be diverse. Mm. Isn't that well said? Wow. Well. <laughs> mm. And I and yeah. I think we, I think we're trying to be more than just a you know a, a media opportunity or a, or, a, or a snapshot or something like that. Yeah. But it is hard tedious patient work you know it really is yeah it really is uh, and it takes a lot of patience takes a lot of grace um and uh it it takes a lot of um because every culture every ethnic group has its blind spots mm-hmm. you know in terms of what the other ethnic group or culture needs or wants mm. and uh i think diversity at its at its best should teach us to be aware of our blind spots mm-hmm. you know yeah and and to be sensitive because some of those bl- blind spots are emotional some of them uh, is a result of historical trauma you know mm. uh, some of it is a result of of uh, how we were how we were raised to think uh, about other races you know and so we we and some of them are intentional blind spots. I int- I, yeah, I choose yeah. not to see, yeah. uh, you know, that yes. car on the left. You know, I'm going to move over anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I choose not to see it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, th- that's a powerful, powerful word. But I think the Holy Spirit helps us to see that. Yeah. Uh, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit helps us to, to be aware of, of, uh, of a person being human. I... I was walk, uh, driving down um, um, Mercer one day, and I saw a guy holding up a sign, homeless guy holding holding, holding up a sign saying yeah. "Human in Need." Mm, oh right, mm. yeah. This and is... I I don't even remember what color he was. All I saw, the fact that he was human, he wasn't asking for beer, he wasn't asking for cigarettes, he wasn't asking for money. He just said, "Human mm. yeah. in need," and it arrested my attention. Huh. Huh. Hmm. And uh, I, I think if we can see that, if we can see the humanity of a person that they were created in the image of God, hmm. and we all have that in common, you know. I think it's so interesting with Christian communities how we've sort of been given this language of sin, which you talked about earlier. And you could say that is a it gives us a way to name 
blind spots. It's, it's yeah, just, where we fall short. I, I, yes. I, it's, it's in my nature to have blind spots. It's in my nature not to see all things perfectly. And uh, I also have grace. But for some reason, Christians are human too. And of course, <laughs> of course they're human. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, but it seems like it, they have an easier time of being able to acknowledge misconceptions or misperceptions or blind spots or something like that. But it's, it's challenging. Sometimes they can't do it. We can't do it. I can't do it. I don't want to say I can do it and others can't. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 I have blind spots too. Yeah. I think sometimes we, we think that because now we are Christians that we don't have any blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, that being a Christian and being, being a follower of Jesus Christ automatically says, okay, now I don't have any more blind spots. Yeah. <laughs> I see it all. Yeah, that's mm. not good religion. You know, and I think none no none of us can see our whole self. I, I need, mm. you know, yeah. When when we get dressed Sunday morning, my wife will ask the question, How do I look? You know, and, and that means there's a need for others to see you mm-hmm. and to see you know, the blind spots. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. can't see all of herself. I can't see all of myself. So mm-hmm. I have to ask someone, you know, am I, is, is this making sense? And, yeah. you know, <laughs> when people ask that question, when Should you, I be wearing a tie to this one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No tie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, God is the only one that doesn't have any blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think we, we have to be, that's the reason we read what we do, mm-hmm. uh, read books that, I remember I, all I read at one time, I read Christian books. I said, wait a minute, this I'm in a Christian bubble here. This mm-hmm. is, yeah, you know, I, need totally. to, I need to start reading some other books, you know. <laughs> like you, you started reading Toni Morrison. Yeah, and, oh boy. Uh, you, you, you kind of uh, pricked my conscience. Mm-hmm. I said, I need to start reading some, mm-hmm. some, some books outside of theology mm-hmm. and philosophy yeah. and so forth. You yeah. Know? yeah, I did so. two years of heavy theology. I was like, I want to get more into my heart zone you know yes yeah yes do you want to say something well i was just gonna say it just makes me think of i remember a really impactful i think it was at spu sermon or service impactful i guess just in the emotions i remember (laughs) but we sang at the end of it uh we all got in a circle and saying i need you to survive yeah that was we sang that at the it's probably zawadi right i I think he likes leading that maybe i think it was dr b okay probably but uh, but that's (laughs) <laughs> Maybe we can play that to end this episode. Yeah, so I feel like that's that's really like an it, that song and singing that and looking into people. Yes. It just really like puts yourself and others in perspective. I yes, think. Um, yes, we it so, gets at the heart at yeah. Christianity or community and faith. Yeah, we sung that at one of our kindred worships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for the Thanksgiving service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that that's a powerful song. Mm-hmm. Because you have something that I desperately need, and I have something that, I that you desperately need. need mm-hmm. you know? Ooh, it was yeah. big, yeah. I hadn't heard that song. Oh, So yeah. I was really moved when wow. we did a BPC. Wow. Uh, okay. I have an idea. I oh. wonder, Aaron, you said earlier with like preaching that you really, there was part of, part of you that was trying each week to build someone up. Essentially, that's how mm-hmm. you're saying it. You mm-hmm. get a cooler way of saying it. Um, but each week we try to end with somewhat of like a benediction. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you can like imagine an audience listening to us and we conclude with a, a an encouraging thought about God or faith or something like that for mm-hmm. people. Do you want to think of something on the fly like that you could just say encouraging to people that are listening? <laughs> 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 it's hard. I'll put you on the spot, but like 
Oftentimes we'll read a benediction. <laughs> you know, you could like read a favorite benediction or something like that, but just a way to close. Well, you know, I, I guess I would say, you know, um, uh, Lord, uh, make us one in, in spirit. Uh, make us one uh, under the, uh, in love and under the, the, the love of Christ. Uh, make us, make us one and, and look beyond our, um, our, our differences and, and, and focus on what? We're in areas where we are alike, and make us one uh, in in spirit. I, I think that would that that's my heart's desire. Mm. Yeah, man. Thank, Thank you, you for coming here. Thank this you so has much. been great.
friends and I were, were be trying to build a cave, and uh, I was like 10 years old, and we had, you know, it was a place to hang out, it was kind of like a you know, like a little cave where we eat our chips and, you know, and candy and stuff like that, and we dug this deep cave, and, uh, and we were hanging out in there, and I was the deepest one in there, and so uh, the, it collapsed, and I was... You know, I had my I had my head between. It was like the the dirt just kind of came down, and it just kind of almost broke my back almost. And and I don't even know how long I was in there. It was just like you know, I was screaming, "Can anybody hear me?" And could barely, you know, could barely talk. Yeah. And I said, and I remember praying. I said, "Lord, if you get me out of this." Cause I was really bad at that time. That's that was when, yeah, I yeah I was. If you if you talk to my aunts and and people who knew me then, they would tell you I was, you know, I'd steal, I'd fight, mm-hmm. was just kind of a bad. I'd punch you in the face, just kind of stuff, wow. for, for no reason. <laughs> me after school. And so you were like. This is the universe getting after me, or God getting after me? Uh, yeah, the- yeah. I felt like God. It was like a wake up call for me at ten, and I, I said, "Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll serve you the rest of my life." Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, it's I, formational. It, it it was it really was, and I can remember someone. I remember the guy who pulled me out. His name was Cleveland, and Cleveland, because um, I, I heard people saying, "Where's Aaron? Where's Aaron?" And they start. I can hear people digging in different wow. places, and and I I remember someone digging, and they they hit my head as they because I was. Oh my gosh! And it was Cleveland, and he he said he he pulled me out. They dug me out and pulled me out. Yeah. That's nuts. But yeah. <laughs> oh boy.